0: I hope all of you have been challenged so far by the speakers. And uh, as I said, this is going to challenge you because this is not probably what you hear every Sunday. This may not be what you're used to hearing from the different scriptural passages or from the positions that they take about them. So it does challenge you. It does cause you to be a Berean. Look in the Word. A lot of times I find myself going, I never saw that one there because I was too busy reading the one ahead of it or the one behind it or whatever. So connect these, uh, challenge them, get back in the Word. I hope you are able to get some walks and discussions with newfound friends here that you can be mulling over these things and walk away with a lot more profit than when we got here. What's that? Missing a group. Was that the one upstairs? Sir, this is... We, we squeezed an extra five minutes out for you, so that, I'm sure there'll be a good profit for that. And... I'll turn it right over to you. This is your water, too, in case you were... That's, that's not somebody else's.
1: I've been reminded this uh, weekend here about a story of a man coming to the pearly gates and coming to heaven. He comes up through the clouds. Peter greets him at the gate and he says, "What do you want?" And the man says, "Well, I'm hoping to get into heaven." he says uh, I think my name's in the book just check it out Peter checks the book the name surely is there but he says you still got to do one more thing for me and the guy goes what's that he says spell for me the word love love okay uh, l-o-v-e that's it good good enough you're in and uh, just as he's getting ready to do his paperwork the phone rings Peter gets on the phone sir yes yes sir I'll be right there and he in a panic, hands him the book and says, "Watch the gate. I'll be right back." And so he goes, "Okay." So he's standing there, and all of a sudden, up through the clouds comes, of all people, his wife. She says, "What are you doing here?" She says, "Oh, it's a long story, but there was an accident after your funeral, and and um, I just I'm here." He says, "What are you doing?" He says, "I'm running the gate." <laughs> <laughs> he says, "Well, let me in." He says, "Well, you." you you know, your name's got to be in the book, and, yep, you're there. And she says, well, you still got to do one more thing. She goes, what's that? you got to spell for me a word. She goes, okay, I'm going to speller." She says, spell Czechoslovakia.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've heard, you and I have heard a lot of stories about what happens at the gate, and I'm, Everybody's got a different twist on it, and everybody's tempted to change what we got to do. Some people think it's just too easy, these words, to spell. Some people think it's not fair. How did I get the Czechoslovakia word? That's too hard. But everybody wants to put something on there because uh, it's just, I don't know what spawned these jokes, but there's a lot of them. I come to you from Boston, Massachusetts. I work for CEA. CEA stands for Chinese Entrepreneur Association. There's a lot of different Chinese types in the world, but a lot of them are entrepreneurs, so I get to head up that organization. It's a Christian organization, and there's many different Chinese. Um, There's ABCs. I'm what they call an ABC. That's an American-born Chinese. I was born in uh, the Bronx, New York City. Raised in Davenport, Iowa of all places. And, uh, then there's OBCs. OBCs are overseas born Chinese. The ABCs don't like OBCs because OBCs are FOBs. FOB is fresh off the boat. (laughs) They wouldn't know who LeBron James is from Manny Ramirez. (laughs) I don't want to be an FOB. Then, of course, there's MITs. That's if you're made in Taiwan. (laughs) My ministry is a lot of MITs, a lot of OBCs, but for lack of a better word, what I'm trying to do is to bring to the Chinese businessman what I've learned from hanging around with Walt Hendrickson, Mark Ramey, Winston Parker uh Walt picked me up. I thought I picked him up, but I think he picked me up instead at Dallas Seminary my last year. And that was a fateful meeting. It changed my life. Basically, I was trained to do institutional Christianity, and I was going to go out there and build the biggest church you ever did see. And I had all the ideas because in church, I had always complained about they were doing everything wrong the way I wanted them to do. I was a layman. I had worked was working for Goldman Sachs after graduating from Business School at Stanford. And I was not happy with my church, so I was going to go to seminary and do it right. And uh, meeting Walt just derailed that plan. (laughs) For lack of a better word, I, I call it a switch from institutional Christianity to retail Christianity. I'm into retail. Now that's, I don't know, that's not a good way to put it, but it's like banking. There's, well when I was at uh, Goldman Sachs, I wanted to be an institutional salesman, not a retail salesman. The institutional salesman, they had the Ferraris, they had the tickets to the Super Bowl, they had big accounts, the banks and the big pension funds. Retail, this just had to do with people, women, just dummies. Just,
2: you know in, in,
1: you know all kinds of problems with these people you know I have to sit down there's no glory there's no size just you know individuals and well actually turned out that if you got a couple big hitters you could get a Ferrari I mean you could still get one so I said okay I'll do retail and uh got a Mercedes instead but uh I'm trying to teach these uh, Chinese entrepreneurs about retail Christianity. It's uh, relate to God through retail. And, uh, of course, we, we need both. You know, I was in a Sunday, my Sunday school class last Sunday. I was talking to them about it. You know, uh, the Navigator 2.7 series, that's the, you know, that was produced by the institution. It's a good institution. And, uh, you know, uh, our kids, you know, are taken care of. But you, do, you know the uh, the search program or uh, Operation Timothy was put together by an institution, but it's delivered retail. Retail delivers it. It's man on man. It's spending time with people. It's uh, nothing fancy. It's just individual stuff. So so you need both. You need the institution, and you need retail. You need fleshing it out. You need personalizing it. I don't think it's enough to hear great sermons. We all are in great churches. But it just takes a human touch. And that's what I call retail Christianity, for lack of a better word. And from a Chinese point of view, I like to call it mischief. And I'm here to I've been assigned to talk about evangelism. And always tough to follow Walt. But he's Help me and introduce us by saying it's something we all hate to do. It's something we hate. Thank you, Jim, for giving me an assignment to talk about what we hate to do.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Evangelism is mischief. The last great mission field in the world is China. I've got a buddy here I went to, we were in Hong Kong together, who is doing mischief in China. And uh, basically the way the world's become, I said, what are you doing, God, but it's so hard? The last acceptable form of bigotry is against Christians. You can't talk about it if you're working for the government, you get in trouble. You can't talk about it if you're a school teacher, you get in trouble. You can't talk about it if you're in China, you get put in jail. That's not going to stop us. Just, we grew up doing mischief, we'll just keep doing the mischief. Just got to be careful. Just not going to get, we just can't get caught. So I call it mischief. Just get away with all kinds of murders. Retail. I mean, if you're an institutional, you can't do this. But retail, going as a businessman, I'm just looking to make some money. You know? And maybe over a cup of coffee, I may just share with you my life or something. Or maybe if your wife gets sick, I'll tell you about what happened with my wife and how the, Jesus is important. And it's not really an institutional thing, it's not, I'm not trying to be imperialistic like those old missionaries that used to come to your country. I'm just a businessman. So we just get into mischief, mischief for the Lord. And uh, you know, we're, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. We just try to act dumb, like Columbo. (laughs) Well, I've been stalling. So let's. Not everybody's here. Let's. Uh, let's start. Let me pray. Let me pray for us. Lord, I come to you and uh, with grateful heart. It's a privilege, unbelievable privilege, to be standing here. And I don't know how I got that chance, but thank you. Lord, just ask that you would protect these men from any error that may come out of my mouth and any wrong uh, interpretation or wrong slant. And uh, turn it all over to you and your holy Spirit for your sake in Jesus name amen I didn't mean to say slant I shouldn't be talking about slant there's <laughs> an Asian here for right uh, <laughs> I got some I got a different slant on things anyway Luke 19 I want to go back to Luke 19 because uh, Winston did you not say Winston, you said let that's enough of that let I don't like the sound of it didn't that, that's how you ended that I don't unsatisfactory ending where is Winston well there he is okay you said I don't like the sound of this where we're going because there's a problem with Luke 19 you know Uh, and uh, let me just read that this is one of my favorite parables this parable is awesome it's a mind blower I heard Winston talking about this in Arizona, Southwest Men's Retreat. I just couldn't believe it. He said, Winston, this is my parable. What are you talking about, this thing? And Winston was just, he is in this parable. He loves this, as I do. Luke 19, verse 11. And while they were listening to these things, what things? These guys were in the foyer of Zacchaeus' house. And there's some big stuff that's happening in Zacchaeus' house. He went on to tell them a parable. Why? Because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear any minute now, immediately. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself, then returned, called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minus, one each, said to them, do business with us. I don't know what what you have in your verse, but that's an important command. That's a command. I got do business. Other people have trade for gain or put this money to work but in the correct biblical version the new american standard <laughs> do business until i come back but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him verse 14 saying we do not want this man to reign over us and it came about that when he returned after receiving the kingdom he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called in in order that he might know what business they had done this story is lean it gets to the point really quick the first guy says master your mind has made 10 minus more and well done good slave because you've been faithful in very little thing be in authority over 10 cities and the second guy came and says your mind master has made five minus and in verse 19 he says and you shall be over five cities in verse 20 another man came saying master Behold your mind, which I kept away in a handkerchief, and I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down. You reap what you did not sow. Verse 22, and the man says to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. I mean, that's not politically correct to call somebody worthless. Did you know that I'm an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put the money in the bank? Verse 23, Having come, I would have collected it with interest. Verse 24, he says to the bystanders, Take the mine away from this guy. Give it to the one who has the ten minas." They said to him, Master, he's already got ten already. And verse 26, I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given, but from the one who does not have even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring, in, bring them over here and kill them. Them in my presence. So, the points that Winston brings up is that you have three different levels of rewards 10, 5, and 1. Also, I think this passage is different than Matthew 25 1, where you do have different levels. One guy gets 5, and one guy gets 2, and another guy gets 1, and they turn back, and the thing is called a talent. And this is called a mina or a mina. And uh, so people interpret Matthew as that you get different talents. You know, you get to play piano, you get to sing, so use it for the Lord. I'm not sure that's the right interpretation of the Matthew passage because talent, that's just a, the term for money, like drachma, rupiah, frank, mark, dollar, yen. Talent, that's what they call it. So I'm not sure we're confusing it with talents. So it could be the same parable of could not be, but at least in that parable is five, two, and one. In this parable, ten guys, one each. And so, and, uh, and I think that the thing that hit me about Winston's talk was that implied in the return of this guy is accountability. I mean, if we believe in the return, which is our blessed hope, it's not a whoopee, hey, let's celebrate, give me a hug. There's also this crummy stuff. There's like, let's have a lineup here. It's like in the Army. Line up. Add attention. And here comes the inspector. Coming in front of every guy, and, and you cut, a, you come to uh, uh, port arms or whatever. And the guy goes to the next guy. He comes to this guy, and he goes to the next guy. There is a lineup. And the guy says, how much? What do you got? What have you done? You know, and so we know he's coming back. I mean, the players in this are pretty simple. There's a nobleman. There are slaves. There's the rest of these people who don't want this guy to reign over us. That's it. Well, who is the nobleman here? Well, the Jesus. They tell you this parable because they think the kingdom is coming, but he's going a long, long way. I'm telling you, long ways. 2004 before he gets back. At least, at least till almost April, is finished 2004. Where is he? This is a long way. I mean, in those days with no planes or boats, if you went a long way, it was like donkeys and walk and steamers and ships and wrong wind. You could, It'd take you a long time to get back. So the problem is You gotta wait for his return. Now, who are the slaves? Well, who are the slaves in this parable? Us. Yeah, we're, we're, that's a good way to think about us. Stewards. Stewards of his stuff. He says, do business with us till I get back. And then the other guys, uh, we don't care about them. They get whacked at 27. They get killed. (laughs) Serves them right. They didn't, they didn't want him to reign over them. And, uh, I think the point of this is to get an eternal perspective. And, uh, he is coming. And, uh, he is going to rule. He does not rule now. I don't think so. People say, Lord rules. I don't think so. You know, but he, and he comes back. Every knee shall bow. He will be in charge. That will be the day. And we're going to be his. You know, we are his people. And, uh, That's that's a vivid, you know, that's part of the eternal hope. He is coming back. It's been a while, but he is coming back, we believe. And this eternal perspective is really, really important. People ask me, I mean, I... uh, Walt has uh, uh, influenced my life a lot. I met him 19 and a half years ago. And... uh, Let's see, 2004. I do believe we're over 20. I think I got to stop saying 19. I do believe here is, I think May, May of '84. It's about close to 20 years. And people ask him, "Well, what's the best thing he's ever done?" I would say the number one thing that I've learned just through God, from Him, is to have an eternal perspective. So let's say that life is more than what we can do here get all we can and can all we get and poison the rest as Walt likes to say you know there is more to life than these 70 or 80 years I am 29 months away from 60 years old that was short it was short you know and uh and I'm sleeping with a 57 year old you know I mean that's
2: <laughs>
1: I've been married 34 years I can't believe it I'm sleeping with a 57 year old but what happened? It's quick, but it's not all there is. You know, there's a, there's an eternity, and it's a whole new ball game. And and uh, I got this guy who's interested in my daughter, and I've been discipling him. I led him to Christ. He put up with me because he was had wrong motives. You know, well, <laughs> all's fair, all's fair in love and war, and and he. And the God's business, you know, if you, come on, if you want to come over because you're interested in my daughter, talk to me. She's not here. Come on, talk to me. And the guy gets led to the Lord. And, uh, and the guys come with me on these trips. He's, he's got an eternal perspective before he got to church. He's got it in his mind. It's all about eternity. So I like him. My daughter still doesn't like him. But I like him.
2: <laughs> it's
1: important. This guy is a young Christian with eternal perspective. And that's what the parable is about. But I got four questions. I got four questions that, that raise, that Winston raises my mind. And I like to cover those questions. They are, number one, what, why did that third guy get whacked so bad? I mean, that guy's a Christian. That guy's one of his. Man alive. You know, you take the, guy, the guy's Mina, you know. He, you know, he's just he's a little ge- legitimate reason. I didn't want to lose it. You know, I just buried it. The whole passage is about this guy. I'm really overreacting on this guy. I want to know what's going on. As Winston says, to get this eternal hope, we got to know the man. We've got to know the Father. What are you thinking? I'd like to make sure that this doesn't happen to me. Get on the right side of God. What kind of God thinks this way? Why did the third guy get whacked so bad? Question number two. What is a mina or mina? How do we pronounce it? What is it? Well, so, when it says 100 days worth of work. Wages for 100 days worth of work. Well, what else? What is the meaning of it? Because the noble man is Jesus, the stewards are us, and the mina is what? Third question, what does it mean to do business? What is the order? Oh, I like that, do business. That's a Chinese verse. That's all you want me to do? OK, God, I was born to do business. That's easy for us. The command, while I'm away, do business. Okay. And then fourth, I want to know, what's in the question? I mean, how much and why is that important? Why, why are you looking for, what is how much? How much what? I mean, you know, you know I've got 10. My, your one mind served in 10. How does this all work? Now, we don't want to get too much into this. You know, most people, most young people say, well, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter that much. But I'm just that anal type of person. I want to know what this thing is about. Okay. First question. Third guy. Why does the third guy get whacked? Very serious. Verse 22. I will judge you. Oh, by the way, verse 11. Did I have somebody to read verse uh, uh, Luke 19, 11? The reason for this. Go ahead and read it for me. And I, I, I don't have any PowerPoints a little bit behind the technology here. I don't know how to do that. So... We, I gotta need you guys to read these verses loud and clear. Luke 19:11. This is the setting for this parable. Luke 19:11. Quit. 19:11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Thank you. Okay. The reason for this parable is they got to get this eternal focus. They think the kingdom is right now going to appear. No, the kingdom is not now. My kingdom is not of this world. Reason for this parable, for telling this, is because to help you get an eternal focus. Kingdom is not coming right now. Okay, now in verse 22 he says, "I will judge you, you worthless." And herein is a lesson. I mean, I mean you know, we say we had a, we had a look at why does God get ticked off? What ticks him off so much? Why is he so hard on this guy? And I think it has to do with risk-taking. I'm not talking about investment risk-taking because he says you you just could have put the money in the bank. You don't have to go options, trading grain, oil futures. Put the money in the bank. You know, so it's not about investment risk-taking. I mean, I don't think the the Bible's teaching us about taking stupid risks or something, but it's still risk-taking. It's still risk-taking. It's like what Joe was talking about, Bradley, this morning. You know, I'm scared to be up here, you know. I'm scared to be talking about my faith you know what if I crater later on you know but I know it's good for me it's that kind of risk taking that's what I think it is it's the risk taking of speaking for God so the problem is this guy's got a hundred days wages he can haul it into the bank and put it on the counter everybody will know he belongs to this nobleman but this master's got his finger on the right thing you didn't even take this thing to the bank. You just buried it. You're just like sitting on the fence. You're ducking. If you take that money to the bank, well, where's a, where's a slave like you going to get this kind of money? Obviously, all the guys who took the money to the bank, everybody knows they're part of this nobleman. You're part of this absent king. He did not want to identify with the absent king. You know? And And there is risk in this passage because of verse 14. They sent a delegation after him and said, we don't want this man to reign over us. That came right out of the Palestinian Gazette that morning. Jesus was reading the paper. Herod was just dead. You know, Herod, the slob in the Mel Gibson movie that was into girls and stuff. He was a loser. He's like the the North Korean Kim Jong-il guy. Saddam Hussein combination. You, got, you know, loser sons. The sons say, I want to take over. You know, my dad's dead. So he goes to Rome, says, give me Palestine. Let me run it. Herod, the guy that would kill the babies, you know, when Joseph uh, was coming back to Bethlehem. He's dead. Let me have it. The Jews sent a delegation all the way to Rome and said, we don't want this man to reign over us. The guy's a loser. The guy's worse than Uday Hussein and... Hude, or whatever their brother's name is, I mean, or the son of the North Korean guys, you can't have him. And as a result, Rome listened to him, and Archelaus did not get the full kingdom of the Herod head because the Jewish Senate delegation. So there's a real possibility this guy does not get the kingdom. <coughs> you know, there's a, there's a real possibility this guy does not come back with the kingdom. The Chinese have a vivid perfect application of this. After, during World War II when they were fighting the Japanese, every Chinese soldier knew that after this fight there's going to be another fight. Because it's the communist peasants under Mao Zedong or it's the Kuomintang, KMT. KMT with the uppity ups, the guys with the education, the peasants with the Chinese. We're fighting the Japanese on Chinese soil but we know When this is done, we got to fight each other. And long story short, the Chinese kicked their rear ends. KMT moved to Taiwan. But before he left the mainland, he said, I will return. Joseph Stilwell, the United States Air Force, a buddy of mine, I am going to a far kingdom, the Washington DC. I'm going to talk to the Congress. They're going to come back with the United States Army. We're going to throw out the Communists. I will return. hold up for a second. I will return. He can see you. And these guys, you know, they're saying, now, now, what do we do, you know? And the, husband and the wife says, honey, I take that going down flag out of the window. I'm not sure. <laughs> he says, no, but he's coming back. He's coming back. I don't know. Yeah, but he's got United States on his side, you know? But United States, I don't know if they got a stomach for this. No, he's got friends in the United States. They will help us. We'll take this land. He's coming back. Chiang Kai-shek is going to be the ruler of China, not this stupid peasant Mao, this fat guy who doesn't know how to do anything. He's coming back. I don't know, but what happened to the guys who really believed that the United States would help Chiang Kai-shek? What happened to anybody in China who believed this guy was coming back? His rear end was grass. It doesn't rhyme with grass, but his rear end was grass. I'm telling you, it was bad. They got he got killed. You know, they believe he's coming back. So this third guy, he's thinking, I don't know, you know, uh, there's a delegation, they would want this guy to reign over up. You know, it's Chiang kai shek's story, I don't know. So why don't we just bury this thing? Why don't we bury the, 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 the thing that identifies me with him? You know, I got a hundred, that's a lot of coin, just bury it. And he goes, uh, listen, I know you're a tough guy. I didn't want to lose it, you know. I just sort of hide it for you. Here it is. You know, the guy goes nuts on him. He says, you worthless, you know. Yeah, I'm going to judge you. Why? Because the issue is he did not want to take a risk. And so the best way I can phrase it, and I don't know if I'm right, the issue is will you or will you not identify with an absent king in the midst of a hostile generation? You don't have to live in Boston to have a, be a hostile environment. You don't have to live in Beijing. This is a hostile environment. Will you identify with an absent king with a risk? When you go to college, away from your family, you stand up for Jesus. The guys are getting drunk and in the fraternity parties, you know, Joe Bradley stood up here, you know. That is risky. Every time we stand up, it is risky. We identify. Just, that's what he likes. He loves that. You, you duck. You miss your opportunity. You, you wimp out. I tell you, that's what I think is going on with this third guy. I don't think he's overreacting. He will not stand up for me. He will not stand up. It all comes down to fear. For chickens, you've got to admit it. There have been many situations I just did not say it. And opportunities. And I regret it. Second one, what is uh um, Mina? It's a Singaporean girl's name. If you <laughs> run into a girl named Mina, she's from Singapore. I don't know if that's M I N A in your b- version, but you know. Now people say, "Well, it's the Holy Spirit. Everybody gets the Holy Spirit. You know, got to use it." Other people say, "Well, it's talents. You know, but that's because of the word talent. The English Bible says talent. It's just a just a denomination of a, a unit of mo- a monetary unit. Some people say it's opportunity. Well." Think about it. What is meaning? Everybody gets one MENA. There's a line up. Here, here's a MENA. Here's a MENA. Go invest in this. Do business, do business, do business. I think, I don't know, I don't know if it's wrong. I say, I've already prayed, God protect us from error. I think one MENA, one life. Everybody's got one life to live. That's it. You got one life. What are you going to make out of it? And I like the term investing. I mean, that's a navigator term. I like that. Invest your life. Well, what do you invest your life in? That's it. Give you one mina, invest it. You cannot invest it in mammon. You can only serve God or mammon. You cannot serve both. And the question will be in eternity, how have you invested your life? And there are many concepts here profit, motive, and in that little pamphlet. And uh, it all fits. It's all about investing. And it's investing for gain. That's why you have to have this doctrine of rewards, this theology of rewards, to be able to get involved in this. Otherwise, you just do it pro bono. You just do it whenever it's convenient. And this, is a, this is a purpose of life. This is what the Master says right before he leaves third one for a question what is the business so we can ask people who went to Dallas Seminary to look it up in the Greek pragmatulmai problem with that is that it's a hapax legomena means it's the only time it appears in the Bible it's a single time You cannot get anything else from any other occurrence so you look it up and it says sure enough trade for gain so the Chinese are right okay we just trade for gain And uh, that's it. Well, it's got to mean something more than do business. But that's literally it. Do business. Do business with this. Do my business. In Texas, they spell it B-I-D-N-E-S. N-E-S-S. Do the business. (laughs) Well, what is it? couple hints. Number one, it's got to be something we're all capable of doing. Number two, as Winston says, it's got to be measurable in eternity. Winston said, there's only two things that are measurable in eternity, the Word of God and human souls. And number three, it's the same business the Master's in. Just take it over, take over the shop. Well, what was the business of Jesus? The same business. The business of Jesus is in the verse that started before this whole parable starts. Luke chapter 19, the parable starts in 11, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, is the business. And it says, who's got that? (laughs) Anybody? I I don't think I signed that. Son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That is the business. Business. (laughs) So, I don't know if we're making too much out of it. The command... Do the business. The business is Luke 19 verse 10. That's what he stood for. That's why he came to earth. There's no other business. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now the last question is, you know, what's the big deal with this question, how much? I mean, if I were the general coming back and we had a line up and I'm just looking at the troops, my question might be, you know, did you think I was coming back? You know, I, and I, if I was being asked a question, oh yeah, Lord, yeah, I really was. I was just at a conference. We were talking about it. We called it, uh, blessed or something, hope or something. I was just talking to my wife the other day. I just say, I hope Jesus comes back. You know, tell him, wife, Wasn't I say that, when I say that. <laughs> you know, I don't know what, the, why is the question? He wants to know how much. He could be like, maybe the question could be, Have you been a good boy? Oh, I've been good. I don't smoke and I don't chew. And I don't go with the girls who do. (laughs) I don't know if that's the issue. What's the first question that comes out of his mouth? How much? How much you got there? Show me. Yeah, Let's see now. What do we got here? You know, it's not, have you been a good boy? It's how much? And I think that question reveals a lot. Number one, it reveals, did you believe? They say, okay, just believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. Did you really believe? You cannot sell something or represent something you don't believe in. If you don't have it, you cannot pass it. You really got it. If you really got it, how in the world can you not tell people about it? I mean, if the story of Christ dying for you Incredible. Picks you out of the garbage sheet, gives you eternal life. How can you not tell people about that? That's just, just the way he tells. He didn't have to be able to look, he just asked you a question how much? How much did you share Christ? You should tell people about it if it's something amazing. I can't stop talking about the Boston Red Sox. This is the year. <laughs> um, they got a new movie out by the Red Sox. We believe. Believe. They got the Christian word in there. That's what it's all about. If you believe, you don't, you can't stop talking about it. That question asks and answers the question, dude, did you believe? Second thing, it asks and answers the question, did you value it? Did you value it? The reason why this is tough, the reason why we don't like it is because it always costs. That's why in the Matthew 6 passage that Walt had us in in the morning, we've got verses 21 to 24 following the main verse, which closes those three, fasting, giving alms, and prayer. The one that closes it starts in 19. It says, therefore, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves can break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves. Lay up, do it. For yourself, not for other people, for yourself, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust, of thieves and break in and steal. And then what follows is good stuff. Who's got 21 to 24? Matthew 6. Thank you. Loud and clear, please. Go ahead and use the mic. Matthew 6 testing good Matthew yeah.
0: six twenty one to 24
1: for where your treasure
0: is there your heart will also be the eye is the lamp of the body if your eyes are good your whole body will be full of light but if your eyes are bad your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light within you is darkness how great is that darkness no one can serve two masters Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money.
1: Clear can you get? It's either your business or God's business. It's a matter of focus. I is the lamp of the body. If your focus is on your business, then your whole body is darkened. If your focus is on God's business then you will have this. You will have this on your heart. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's just plain and simple. We try I am an expert. I'm trying to do both and, and combining it. You cannot. So, you cannot serve God and mammon it takes on special relevance with this question, how much? He knows with the question, how much? based on this passage in Matthew 6, the end of Matthew 6, you cannot serve God and mammon. And I think besides the question, do you believe, the question how much, did you believe or did you value it? I think, last is did you have the heart of Jesus? Verse 10 is the heart of Jesus. As sons of God, what degree do we take on the same passion, the same likeness? You know, Joe Bradley's dad. I tell you that, we all wish we had sons like that, right? It's a reflection on the dad. You know, the sons that take on the same heart, living in that home and being raised a Christian. That's us. To what degree do we have the same heart if we do not ache for the loss? If we do not have the same heart, it'll be shown in, how, in the question how much? If you got, if your answer is nada, then it shows it did not bother you. That people are going to hell. It not bother you. People are lost. So I know it's just, a, it's just, it's offensive to me when I first heard this. It's not a numbers game. I mean, we're just like notching our guns. Just, okay, Lord, I just got another one for you. You keep your track now. Who's running the books up there? It's number nineteen, the way I figure it. We're going for 20 this year. Then 2005, my goal is 26. I'm going to convert two a month. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's it. It's a heart, the same heart of Jesus. You just share. And we're not looking for numbers. You know, that's a smoke screen. You, you say, you know, I don't go into this numbers thing. I don't, I don't just do this. You know, you, you're a little crash. You're Chinese. You're going to, everything's got to be gained for you, you know. That's a smoke screen. You got the heart or you don't have the heart. <laughs> you're part of the family. You're part of the business. <laughs> you're into your own business. That's it. It's just if you're in the business, you're going to be doing this. <laughs> you know? That's it. Is that too simplistic? There's only one thing he wants from us. Not whether you're a good boy, I mean, they all subsume that one thing. Did you represent him to this world? The thesis of Luke 19 is repeated. It's supported by Acts 1-8, Matthew 28, 18-20. Who's got Matthew 28, 18-20? Go ahead.
0: Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the the Father and of the Son
1: and of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're talking... This are the last words of Jesus on earth. I mean, last parting words. Then he goes up. In Acts 1.8, the same thing. Gets them together. And he's, you know, you listen to guys just want to, want to tell you. And all of a sudden, he's starting to levitate. Guys are looking into heaven. And the an angel is saying, he's coming back. The last words. This is just like the parable. Luke 19, he's going to go far away. This is important. So I would say, as we were talking with Gustafson, Primacy of evangelism. We're going to stick our neck out. There's nothing more important. We got, Luke, we got Luke 19, a parable. Parables are a little iffy. I don't know if you can make theolo- theology out of parables. You know, there's good reasons. The Lord coming. I mean, if you're going to say it, just say it straight. Let Paul say it. Well, Paul does say it, by the way. You know, but what put it in a parable? Make a big deal out of a parable. Well, what about Acts 28 19 and 20? What about. i mean so matthew 28 what about acts chapter 1 verse 8 this is the last thing he said this fits the parable the safest way to prepare for that day of reckoning is to get involved in evangelism i don't know maybe it's too simplistic primacy of evangelism what do we do from the lives that we have we got to get involved in the business there's no other that's, a, that's my number one recommendation that's the, the primacy there's nothing else and you think about it this is God's plan to reach the world it's the lay witness it is the plan you think about your own life what was the primary influence in your life that caused you to come to the Lord was it a Billy Graham crusade I mean powerful I've seen a lot of people May I ask you, let me take a little poll here. Primary reason, all the reasons that contributed to you bingoing or coming to know the Lord, the Billy Graham crusade, Luis Palau, any big crusade where you came and it just hit you, it's just a primary influence in your life. Could you please stand up? Let me see it. Yeah, there's always one, two. Okay, stay standing. The primary influence in your life for you becoming... A Christian was a vocational Christian worker, your pastor, study school, you know, uh, navigator, met navigator's a campus, just a professional Christian. If the primary influence in your life was a pastor or vocational Christian worker, please stand up. There's a lot of people. Okay, and the last one. The primary influence in you becoming a Christian was a lay person. Just an ordinary person, a mom, a grandmother, a sister, brother, a college roommate, somebody at work, a neighbor, just somebody who told you about Jesus, the primary influence. If that was a primary influence, please stand up. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's, you wouldn't do that in, you know, normally, but of course, we, we know this is all set up. <laughs> I saw that done in, of all places, Lausanne. These are the top Christians in the world in Lausanne. 4,500 people. The whole friggin' place stood up. These are Christian workers. It was a layman that led them to Christ. The primary influence. That is the plan. There is no other plan. That's what God wants. Well look what he did with Jesus. If I was him, I'd do, I'd play the Jesus card a lot different guy comes like, what is this guy? He's nothing. He's a carpenter. He's like a wimp. I, mean, I say, okay, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jesus. Listen up. You know, the first guy that makes a crack, I just turn him down and bounce <laughs> bounce him on his head and just sling him into the next leg. Any more questions? <laughs> I stop the moon. I turn the sky purple. I would do... I've read the comics. I mean, superhero stuff. Oh, the guy does nothing. You know, Jesus became one of us to reach us. I mean, he identified with us. It was I, D, and ID, he identified one of us. But he showed D, I differences. You know, first he becomes one of us. Then he shows he's different. He's different. He's got a different focus. My kingdom is not of this world. That's us. We're just ordinary people, nothing special. The power of the lay witness—that's God's plan. It is through that not special person, through that carpenter. You know, could you hold back? I mean, why do these guys do this? You know, especially when he was beaten up in the Mel Gibson movie, he got to—Jesus, wipe those guys out in a minute. Let him whip them like that. Power of the lay witness—that's the plan. There, there is, there's no other plan. When I mean, Jesus was getting ready to come down, to go to earth, be in public, right before he got in the elevator, God says, hold up for a second, give me your coat. He takes off his cloak of deity. You know? And he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But instead, he humbled himself, taking on the likeness of man, and came down to earth. And that's an example. There's no other plan. And the reason is because that, I guess, uh, this is, I don't know. I think it has to do with God's glory. For for consider your calling, brethren. Not not many of you are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen... (laughs) Sorry. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has show, chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. God has chosen the despise and the base things of the world. God has chosen the things that are not, you know, that he might uh, nullify the things that are. So no man can boast before God. That's his plan. He's not going to share his glory. So we get to do it. It's our job. Phenomenal phenomenal plan we are the church's contact point with the world do you need a gift you say i have no gift for this stuff i used to think i was always been in sales my whole life i said oh good lord you can count on me i'm gonna show you some stuff
2: (laughs) i'm a salesman i don't
1: think so all the gifts Someone told me, and I can look it up, but all the gifts are always accompanied with an attendant command. Most of them, anyway. You, know, you, have a, you have a gift, and you also have a command that goes with it. Gift of mercy, gift of service, gift of exhortation, gift of giving, gift of evangelism. There's a command. We are His obedient servants. We don't say we don't have a gift. You know, it's a command. There's a lineup at the end. There's an exit interview. How much? Winston says, we are all in full-time Christian work. The only difference is how the ministry is funded. How do we get paid? Both institutional and retail Christianity. What's the job of the pastor? Well, who's got the best verse? Ephesians chapter 4, 11-12. job of the pastor is to equip the saints. You know, he is envious the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's the saints to do the work of the ministry. You know that—that's the high calling. Pastor's job is to equip, equip the saints. We do the work of the ministry, and we got it all mixed up. And we think we—we we suffer from an inadequate image. I mean, Winston used the term second class. You gotta be kidding. Well, we have that feeling. We're not. This is the plan. Say guy says, well, I didn't go to seminary. You know, I don't know the Bible that well. It's not about content. It's about conviction. The lay witness is not about content. The guy says, look, I, I don't... All I know is, look, once I was blind, now I can see. That's a powerful witness. All I know is that my, my life was just parties and didn't mean anything. All I know is since I met Jesus, It's <laughs> been everything to me. Now that's the powerful lay witness. Some guy says, I got no time. I got a job. Christians, they, you got paid. You guys do nothing. You got all the time in the world. It's not a function of time. You never know when a guy's going to tip. You never know. It's all in God's plan. Some guys say, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy. I mean, you know, I'm not... I'm not a very good Christian. I've only been a Christian eight years now, and I still feel rough edges. You know, I wish I'd be a little bit more holy. Well, I tell you, holy Christians are a turnoff. You
2: know,
1: <laughs> and that's not an excuse to be a little rough around the edges. But you goody goodies are total turnoffs. This business is one sinner telling another sinner where to find forgiveness. Power of the lay witness is is there because it's real. When vocational Christian workers and pastors, when they're good, everybody says that's what they're paid for. When a layman is good, he's good for nothing. (laughs) That's fine. (coughs) The number one reason why we don't do it, given to us by Winston and Luke 19, we don't think there's any accountability. If there's no accountability, you don't do it. If there's no $75 ticket for parking in Boston near a fire hydrant, everybody would park. If there's no tickets for speeding, we'd speed. If there was no grades, why would we study as students? It's accountability. We don't believe there's accountability. That's what Luke 19 is telling us. That is the number one reason why we're not doing it. Of course, Walt says it's because we don't like confrontation, okay, but I think it's because there's no accounting. Christianity today is insipid because we do not believe in accountability. This whole conference is about eternity, how you, ma- how you live matters. You know, we all got stories, we all got things that have happened to us. You know, doo-doo happens, stuff happens, you know, but it's not going to hold us back. We got one vision you know there's no excuses eternal perspective is a two-sided coin there's rewards and there's regrets and there are many verses talking about eternal perspective that link it with 2 Corinthians 5:10 and 11 who's got that go ahead for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body According to what he has done, whether good or bad. I thought we were saved by grace. What is this? Okay. And then verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. A lot of verses talk about eternal accountability, this rewards, regret stuff. We must appear before the judgment seat. Links it. Therefore, we got this. We got it. We persuade men. Knowing the fear of God, we persuade men. 1 Corinthians 3, 11-16, there's only one foundation where a man can build. There's no other foundation except Jesus Christ. But upon that foundation, as Wal Hendrickson does, you can build with wood, hay, and straw. Or gold, silver, precious stones. What is that stuff? What is the, you know, we got a part in this. We got it. We can build upon that. Romans 14, 12 and 13. Who's got that? Go ahead.
2: So then, each of us will give an
1: account. A little bit louder.
2: So then, each of us will give an account.
1: So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Then go ahead, 13, right afterwards. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind... Not to put any stumbling
0: block or obstacle in your brother's way.
1: Everything's about the witness, the Christian witness. Do not stumble, people. You know, you, even when you're not doing it, you're doing it. It's all about the Christian witness. It's about sharing the faith. You know, because there's accountability in, in verse 12. So each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let's, not, let's be careful. Let's not stumble anybody. Mm-hmm. Every time you talk to a non-Christian, they always talk about the hypocrites in the church, people who just don't live the Christian life. Galatians 6, 7. What, do, not, uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man's soul, so he shall reap. And uh, therefore, in verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap. The law of the harvest is applicable. The number two reason because of accountability, which is related why we don't do it, is because of fear. Let's talk about fear for a second. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible is Acts chapter 5 about just the church went nuts. You know, they threatened them. You just shut up about this Jesus. Put them in jail, whipped them. You know, and the church was going nuts. They could not be shut up. They were fearless. And Peter, verse 5, chapter 5, 29, Peter says, can't help it. What does he say? Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Go ahead.
2: But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men.
1: Yeah. And just, of course, the story behind that is Ananias and Sapphira get killed, you know, the whole fear of God comes upon that assembly. I mean, they just drop dead right in front of them, just for a little of a lie. You know, sold the house for 200 instead of 250. Keep a little bit. You know, you guys are selling your houses for 130. Why do I have to kick in? It's not communism.
2: <laughs>
1: just keep a little bit back. God killed them. You know, and these guys are threatening them about. You know, you got to shut up about Jesus. You got to be kidding me. You are gonna threaten me? You know, I think I fear God more than I fear man. And you better say the same thing. If you fear a man be- more than you fear God, I'm, have s- the thing, reversed. Believe it. I tell you what I fear. Luke twelve eight and nine. A- right Go ahead, Anthony, real loud. You don't need him. Also, you don't need him like. Also, I.
2: Okay.
0: Also, I say to you, whoever confesses me, before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God."
1: That's scary. Well, don't worry, Paul covered that up. Paul said, don't worry, don't sweat it. It was saved by grace. You know, well, let's say we got Jesus saying this, Paul saying that. I don't know. You stand up and Jesus say, well, Paul said this. I don't know.
2: <laughs> <coughs>
1: the salesman's fear he's not going to make the sale. You know what? It's not about the sale. It's not about converting people. Confessing Jesus. not converting people. Walt says that evangelism is the only job. The salesman is not paid for the sale. He's just paid to make the call. That's amazing. Just make the call. Just share Christ. And Skip Shawn says our task is to move a pet man closer to Jesus. Just move him closer. You know, and we are all a product of a multiplicity of influences. That's what the book, Layman Lookup, has a chapter in there. We are a product of a multiplicity of influences. We have grandma praying for us. Example for mom and dad. We go to college, we meet a navigator. You know, an IV person see a buddy at work, come to the conference, meet some people. Some straight guy from Hong Kong comes in. He he adds a little bit. I mean, you know, just everybody's a product of a multiplicity of influences. That's the body of life, not one person. I I think about it like a scale. We got a scale at home we got in Germany. when We were in the army in Germany. It's a really cool little scale. It's got platforms. (laughs) It's got these things that read. And the kids used to play with it all the time, just put a big old weight on one end of it. You know, and then on this side, this thing would go way down. You start putting weight on it. Just putting weight. There's different weights. Pretty soon that thing would start coming. Then he'd drop toothpicks on it, drop Kleenex on it. The thing would just come right there, you know. And then that, that's the tipping point. And I see evangelism like this scale. You keep on adding weight, nothing happens. You share Christ. Somebody's praying for you. You go to Sunday school, college. Just You don't know. And all of a sudden, that thing will tip. Billy Graham, he's a big weight. He comes in, <coughs> everybody just goes. You know, and I see Billy Graham crusade, I see the TV, I see all these people walking down the aisle. What I see is a ton and ton of lay influence in the people's lives. Billy Graham was the final thing that tipped it. But these guys don't come walking down the aisle in a 50-minute message, no matter how great it is. It's the, it's the lay influence that goes in there. And who says one weight is more important than the other? Is Billy Graham more important than us? You know, can that thing tip without our weight? What weight is the big weight? It's all cumulatively important. The job of evangelism is that we just got to add weight to people's lives. Some of you don't need any more weight, but I'm talking about a different
2: <laughs> weight.
1: Add weight. Stuff non carbs of it. You don't know when it's going to tip. It's all by faith. It's a by faith venture. It will tip. First Corinthians 3, 5 to 7. Who's got that? Go ahead.
0: What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth.
1: It's not about sales effectiveness. It's about sovereign election. Election, that's like an Easter egg hunt. Go ahead, kids, get out there, go find them. Well, they're not out there. No, go out there. I mean, just go out there and find out who's the elect. You know, and uh, it's like trading the stock market with inside information. It's just God is—he's elected these guys. You just get to reap them. The best passage is again Winston's passage, First Peter three fifteen. First Peter three fifteen is a Bible verse that serves as a blueprint for evangelism. This is a blueprint. That verse, that single verse, is loaded seven principles. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your life, and Lord in your heart. Always being ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that's within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Seven principles. Number one, sanctify Christ as Lord. Sanctify means set apart, means set Jesus apart in your life. You decide before your college who's number one in your life. Do not sell out. Most powerful witnesses for Christ are those who are sold out. Not waffling guys, not people sitting on a fence. Matthew 5.16 says, let your sh- light show shine It means being obedient, you know, so that when they see your good works, they may glorify God. Hard to be a witness for Christ if you're not obedient. Number two, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. This is not religion. This is something from your heart. This is a personal relationship with Jesus, something very intimate, something meaningful, something sweet. We are sharing love of Christ from our heart. I remember when I got to Hong Kong and I said, Lord, what do we do? I'm ready to work. You can't even start until you learn to love men. You love men into the kingdom. That's what it's about. It's not religion. We love them like Jesus loved them. From the heart. Sanctify Christ the Lord in your heart. Always being ready. That's it. The reason why we don't do evangelism is because we're not ready. I mean, it's right in front of us all the time. You miss it. All you got to do is be ready. God will bring it unbelievable opportunities all over. You've got to walk out of the house ready. It's part of your, your your morning ritual. Make it part of your morning morning ritual. Lord, who is it that I'm going to see today? Let me be ready. You know, let me be awake. Let me thinking about myself all the time. You know, it would be right there, drop right in your lap, and don't fumble it. Don't fumble the ball. In basketball, the ball can come anytime. You've got to be ready. The ball come right at you. Number four, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready, make a defense. Evangelism is not offense, it's defense. Offense stinks, you know. You don't hit people with the head with it. You don't want to clubbing people or attacking people, condemning them. They're acting like they're supposed to act. It's not a Christian's act. It's defense. My son, he gets pretty cocky, he can beat me in chess now. You know, he's pretty good. So I switched my strategies to defense. I don't attack anymore. He comes and slash and burn with his queen and bishops. Come on in, Mike. I'm ready. Come on.
2: <laughs>
1: and he gets hovering around. He comes in and just kill him. I win now. I win it all the time. Defense.
2: <laughs>
1: Our posture is defense. We're kind of like apologizing. It's kind of like apologetics. We let them come at us, we respond. And there, I think I questions, you know. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you. You work for the ask. We work for the ask. We had that principle at Goldman Sachs. The guys had seven. The institutional salesman had seventy-two button switchboard, six rows of twelve across. Man, I said, I wish I had a phone like that. Just push a button. Hello there, you know. Guys would call. The thing would light up. Hello, Goldman Sachs. Hey, what's going on there? Not, nothing. What's going on with you? Well, you think the uh, the uh, uh, Indians got a chance this year? You know, so far you don't know anything. Yeah, you know, of course the Yankees look pretty good. Of course, you know, Kansas City. I don't know, Kansas City or Indians. You know, he said. He says, well, how do you see the market? So now he's getting to the point. You know, well, it's, you see some selling in the drugs, the computers, the technology is going up. He says. What's happening, to, what's happening in the biotech section? He puts us out on the phone. He's doing something in biotech. Uh, the biotech, you know, uh, well, we just we traded a block of this, a block of that. And so you're trying, the guy's coming in. You want to listen for the ask. You listen to where he's coming from. You know, it's not curiosity. There's something going on in this guy's life. You've got to figure it out. you got to listen. You want to get the ask. You know, and this is what good salesmen do. They listen for the ask. They can't create the ask. You work to create the ask. You know, you just, you don't hit them right away. You just ask them how they're doing. You, you, you share your life with them. My wife, when we got converted, we were lieutenant in the army in Germany. We were just having a lot of marital problems. Some couple picked us up there. Husband from Hanford. No, he was from Louisville, Kentucky. A Japanese wife. Everybody thought his Japanese wife was my Chinese <laughs> wife, you know because we all look alike, but um, <laughs> so we decided to become friends because everybody thought we were one another and so then they invited us over you know and they were really different people and that night, lasagna <laughs> is April 72. Uh, <coughs> I always get I always get uh, uh, sorry gosh get most anyway. my my wife goes, why are you guys so different from the rest? What makes you guys so different? You know, bingo, I can see these guys going, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) 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 give me five on the table. (laughs) 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 That's a good question. Uh, You see, uh, (laughs) 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 we have Jesus Christ, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, my my wife goes, what? know, Bingo. Payoff time, working and working, being nice to these people, bringing over meals, calling them (laughs) up. Give me the ask. Finally comes in. What makes you guys so different? Why are you guys so different from other people? That's it. Work for the ask. That's evangelism. Give an account for the hope that's in you. The message is hope. That's what this conference is all about to everyone who asks to give an account for the hope that's in you we're not we're preaching hope purpose of salvation as well says not to provide salvation give you purpose give you a new purpose a new value system it's always gain sorry hope is always in the direction of gain we don't preach certainty Christians who say I know the Lord does the Lord talked to me yuck from a non-Christian point of view certainty stinks <laughs> you guys are full well, I mean, you guys are just dreaming. I've never heard from Jesus. You know, I don't know anything for certain. But I believe. You know, I I I just give. I'm betting. I just give my life. I just bet everything I got. Put it on one number. Let's roll them. Let's roll the dice. Yet with gentleness and reverence, you're to stick that in there because there's some Southern Baptists in the group, you know. <laughs> Be gentle. Love these people. Christians are not gentle. Do it with gentleness and reverence. That's the back end of 1 Peter 3.15. Point number seven. Our methodology is not one of aggression or condensation. Gentleman, gentleness means we are soft, not hard. We are empathetic, not judgmental. We are laid back, soft-spoken, winsome. Reverence means respect for the person and his position. Quote from Day 100, Wall Henderson's diary. Day 100. You must discipline yourself to treat people with the dignity and respect that is theirs by virtue of God's imputation, same way that God views you. In conclusion, my wife, you you know, she's, she's got a job as a consultant. She got a chance to go to Europe for the big consultant. You know, and she said, she was, when she was there, everybody's jockeying for position to trumpet themselves to move and work that room. I've taught her how to work a room. You guys know how to work a room. <laughs> she said, I'm not working this room. She goes, I'm here. I don't need this job. You know, I asked my husband. He says, we don't need it. So she says, I'm here work this room. I'm going to find who's the elect. I hope to find the elect. And she moved about that room. She's got another purpose. She's not there wandering around trying to make impressions, but to look for the elect. She said, my job was to try to understand someone else's life. So she finds somebody. She says, Let's, I try to understand your life. Tell me about yourself. And, uh, and she, you know, she, that's how she spent her time. You know, I, and uh, you've got to be disciplined. We don't need to tell our stories all the time. We just listen to other people. Recently, she got the plum assignment: uh, Harvard Medical School, the Massachusetts Institute of uh, Eye and Ear, I-Ear Institute. They needed a consultant, and they looked at the whole thing and they picked her. And she's not promoting herself; she got the plum assignment, you know, to do to do that consulting job. Amazing. And evangelism has implications for your spiritual life. He commands you to do it because he loves you. It's good for you, not because he wants to. Put you under any stress or he's doing it because he loves you. When, you know, when Bradley's dad asked him to do this, we're doing him a favor. You know, not because we want to see you sweat. Of course, the kid was sweating like crazy.
2: <laughs>
1: God asked you to do the same thing because he loves you. And you're going to sweat without getting involved in an evangelism. You will drift you will get dull your faith will become dead just like the liberal churches you know you see it you will lose it ah you say you can't save once you're saved you're always saved i don't know what they say it's just i'm telling you you lose it if you don't share it use it or lose it it's the key to your own spiritual growth and your spiritual health how's it work keeps the focus off yourself Self-preoccupation is not good for evangelism. Focus on other people. Thinking about others makes you a more of a healthy person. Develops your personality to a more attractive, wholesome personality. Evangelism increases your faith. You know, my faith this week, the number one thing is to strengthen my faith. Know this is for real. I'm headed for right, right? Because when I see a buddy convert, I see a friend of mine receive Jesus. Wow, nothing like it. That is a turbo charge on your faith like you've never had it. If you have the experience that you've got to do it, God wants to give that to you. To see someone you love find Jesus, bingo, just amazing for your faith. So I don't know if that St. Peter's joke is a joke, whether or not there's going to be an exit interview. If this is like Whoopee, you're we're all rating, Jesus died for you is all ready. Or is there something else, you know? I don't know if we're misinterpreting Paul and say saved by grace, Whoopi, do anything you want. You know, I was talking to a buddy of mine whose kids have gone bad. I said, Do you think they're they're believers? And he, and he really believes in grace. He says, I'm not sure. And even he really believes in grace. You know, it's not you. It's not what you work on. It's whether or not Jesus died for you, whether you're elect. But even him, he loves his kids. He says, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they're saved. So I don't know what the question is. I I think it'll be tougher than a spelling question. I think it'll, I mean, of course, we want love and, you know, that'll be an easy one. Czechoslovakia is a little tougher. But it could be the Luke 19 question. How much? What you got? What you do? How did you invest your life, your, your, your mina? And I'm not talking about the Singaporean girls. How, how, much, how did you invest your life? In other words, how have you multiplied your life? What is the purpose of life? Why are we alive rather than in heaven already? You know, I mean, is it just a Santa Claus thing? I mean, what is Jesus? I mean, this is a real testimony. You could be Santa Claus. And, you know, we fathers, we hate it when our kids say, whatever. And we we try to tell them something. (laughs) This is important. This means this. Cause and effect. Listen to me. They go, whatever. You know, and and that's what we do when we talk about evangelism. This is important. There is a lineup. It will make a difference. Okay, whatever. You know, we know already, you say whatever. I tell my kids, do not say whatever to me. Never don't say that to me.
2: <laughs>
1: I hate that. Do not say that to God. This is important. Listen up. You know, there's accountability. And it, it works like this. Study this. Why did the third guy get whacked? What is the minor? What is the business? What's the question mean? How much? You know, what's going on here? Is this for real? Is this a parable? How does this fit? You know, be a Berean. Don't go away for a second. Oh, whatever. I think that you would think that we got this downside and the upside and I think Winston had the good news, I got the bad news. I think that with the bad news, with the downside of accountability, it really increases the upside. I mean, I went from a whatever, I'm going to heaven, whatever, to now, I mean, this, you know, this hope is being built up. I give my life to this. You know, I I really think I am building up treasures in heaven. I'm building it up. There's no whatever with me, you know. This is increasing. They say, "Oh, you poor thing! You're doing this out of guilt, or you're just like, you know, worldly working." No, no, no! I am into this thing. I'm bought into this thing. This has developed my eternal hope. Now I love His appearing. The people who love His appearing have been doing the business. The people who've been sloughing, bearing their whatever, they're not going to love His appearing. You're standing there and going, "You, you know," because the question's coming. And we who love his appearing are people who are in the business. You are not in the family unless you're in the business. I mean, that's a little, that's a little bit stretching. Uh-huh. I don't know. That's scary. That could be error. But that's a, that's a possibility. You've got to be in the business to be in the family. That's a sign of being in the family. It's not optional anymore. We will represent him in Ohio and Michigan and everywhere. We're going to go out from here. We're not going to be asleep. We're going to take these opportunities. We're going to turn this place upside down. We're there's no retirement, we're going to finish strong. Even if you're a Christian ministry, you leave the Christian ministry. Don't leave the ministry. Get involved. This is it. This is the purpose of our life, and it's to prepare for eternity. Let me pray and dedicate ourselves to the Lord. Lord, I don't know. This is scary stuff, but we, uh, we, want, uh, we want to check this out. And we're hearing some stuff this weekend. And we thank you for calling us, and we thank you for this challenge. And if it does make a difference, Lord, oh, wake us up. if we're going to do this, we're going to need your help. On our part, we report. We are your men, and we want to be part of the business. Lord, you've got to do the rest. <laughs> you've got to give us help. We, we need to see you strong in our life. And so count on you. We commit, you're going to do the rest. Thank you for these promises. Thank you for the opportunity to be at this retreat. Hear this. I love you. Thank you for doing it, for dying for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.